Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today. We're going to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes and hope that you learn a little bit about your Bible. I know that uh, we're going to learn something about the Bible because we get so many good questions each week and new questions each week uh, that we enjoy trying to find an answer to in the Bible. Uh, the way we get your questions is there's a phone number and a website on the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us, and we'll uh, try to answer your question as quickly as we can. And when I say we, I mean me, Steve Tandy, and my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. Um, I think I've got the first one, but our viewers always get the very first question. So here's yours for the day. Who was Adam's third son? Uh, everybody knows about Cain and Abel, I think, but uh, after that, Adam had another son, at least another son, uh, who was the next one that we know about. We'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. All right, first question of the day, Why, where does it say that God hates divorce? Well, there is a verse in the Bible that says that. Let's just read it, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, God says, I hate divorce says the Lord God of Israel. And a couple of things I'd like to point out about that verse. That's where he says it, Malachi 2.16. Uh, but let me point out a couple of things. Number one, divorce is not the only thing that God hates. Uh, there are a number of places in the Bible where it lists some things. Uh, it says here are seven things that God hates. And it, lying and greed and uh, pride and gossip and all sorts of things God hates. Now, second thing I'd like to point out is that not only is divorce not the only thing he hates, but it's the same reason that he says he hates things is because he hates the effects of them. Uh, they're sins. And, and sin cause problems. That's what God's rules and commandments and suggestions are about he wants us to have an abundant life. So when he says don't do this, it's not just to keep us from having fun, it's so we'll have a better life. So when he says I hate divorce, well he hates gossip, but he hates lying, he hates lots of things because there's so many problems that come from it. Now it, nobody would deny that divorce causes lots of problems. And anybody that's been through a divorce or has been the child of a divorce or uh, had a divorce happen in their family, uh, they understand that better than anybody. A divorce causes problems. Uh, sometimes it may be the absolute only way out because of sin, but it still has problems. It causes problems. So when God says, I hate divorce, that's what he's saying. I hate the effects of divorce. Um, 
uh, along with the effects of gossip and lying and everything else that God hates. So sin causes problems is the point, but Malachi 2.16 is where that verse is that you're looking for. All right, Toby, what's your question? All right, well, the, this question moves a little bit different direction. Uh, they ask, can you explain the new heaven and the new earth? And the short answer of that is no, not fully. Uh, I can explain the concept of it, um, but what it's going to be like, we don't know exactly. Uh, <clears throat> if you think about anything in our world, most often uh, newer is better and more improved. Now, uh, you drive a car and it's uh, 15, 20 years old or something, and you get one that's even not brand new, but you know, let's just say it's five years old instead of 15 years old. Well, there will be a lot more improvements. Uh, technology will be better. Uh, it'll probably run better. It'll have more features that are natural to it because newer tends to be better. You go buy a new TV. Uh, you know, they're cheaper and flatter and lighter than they used to be. Uh, pictures clearer with each generation that comes out. Uh, every couple of years, I get a different iPhone, and uh, they're they're always different. But the technology's better; it's improved. It's you know, when I use an older one, I think oh, this is so slow and it doesn't work as good. Point is, generally speaking, we understand in our world that newer means better and improved. Uh, from that perspective, we live in a, a generation one world. I mean, it's it is the original creation. And it's, it's what God created, but since sin entered it, it's a very broken world. It's changed a lot since the original design. And it's broken, so we see that all the time. But the scriptures promise us again and again that this world is not our home. It's not meant to be a permanent place. Uh, that there's a new heaven, a new earth that God is preparing um, Peter looks at this. He says second, in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, uh, he talks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But we, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. At the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21, John writes these words, Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first er heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And that's what makes the new heaven and the new earth, however it looks, whatever form it takes, it, that's what's going to make it better, is not how it looks different, but who's there. The presence of God will finally be with his creation. Uh, sin will have been removed through Jesus, and we will have an eternal dwelling place. Now, what's it going to look like? How's it going to be? Uh, uh, you know what? I can't answer that. And the Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So my simple explanation of that is it's going to be great, and we don't want to miss it. I hope that helps you a little bit.
All right, if you're wondering about perfection here, it says, It seems in the New Testament that God demands perfection from us. Yet, we're told we can't be perfect as humans. Does God expect perfection? All right, let's talk about a couple of different ways to think about this. First of all, uh, depending on the translation you got, you may see the word perfect a lot. Uh, be perfect, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, the word that's used there almost always is a Greek word, teleos, uh, which is, can be translated perfect, but probably a better translation is to mature or complete, something that grows up to get where it's supposed to be. So uh, that's the word that's often translated perfect in some translations, but in others is more often translated mature. So when it says that Christians ought to be perfect, what it's really saying is Christians ought to be mature. They ought to grow up. They ought to be complete. Now, that doesn't mean we reach the state of perfection, but it means we grow up to what we ought to be. Uh, compare that to like a basketball player, one that starts out in uh, bitty ball and can barely dribble. Uh, by the time they make it through all the stages and get to the NBA maybe, uh, we would say that person is a complete basketball player. Uh, the Greeks would use the word teleos. He's complete, he's mature, uh, he's perfect. Well, everybody knows he's not perfect. He still misses shots, a lot of that happens, uh, but he's mature. He's become com a complete player. So that's one way to understand this. A lot of times when you see perfect, it just means mature. Uh, the other thing, when it does talk about perfection sometimes, uh, it's an ideal that we aspire to. Uh, Paul said he wanted to be like Christ. He didn't think he was ever going to be like Christ, <laughs> who was perfection, but that's what he aspired to. In fact, let's read uh, one, I'll read it to you, uh, Philippians 3. Listen to what Paul says about this. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian that ever lived, and he said, I'm not perfect, uh, but I aspire to be. I keep pressing on. I want to be more like Christ. So the Bible also uses the term perfection a lot uh, in that situation. Okay. Now, the last thing our viewer said was, does God expect perfection? Uh, and and that's, we could spend a lot of time on this, but just very briefly, God is holy, so he can't have sin in his presence. So in one sense, we have to be perfect to be in his presence. We have to be sinless. The way that works is we are clothed in Christ in his perfection, and that's what Christ sees us. Uh, uh, what God sees. God, uh, Christ died for our sins. He paid the price so we can appear perfect. Now, here's the way Paul explained that in Romans. Let's read a couple of verses together. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
the gospel's the power of God that saves us. Now let's read verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There's the key. In the gospel, a righteousness from God. So do we have to be perfect? Well, in a sense, yes, but that perfection comes from God's grace. So, no, we're not ever going to be perfect as sinful humans. We're still going to mess up. We're going to uh, miss some shots every once in a while. But when God looks at us, if we're clothed in Christ, if we're in Christ, he sees the perfection, the, the payment that Christ made. It's a righteousness from God. So that's the good news, which is what gospel means. And Paul says, that's really good news. I can't be perfect, but I appear perfect because of the sacrifice of Jesus. All right, let me take this moment and talk about studying the Bible in a little different way than just looking at one answer and or one question and one answer. Uh, getting the big picture of the Bible is important. And we've got a lot of students uh, of the Bible that watch this program and they know how to study the Bible and have different methods and all that. That's great. But we know we've got a lot of viewers that just haven't ever got started. So here's a good way to get started. We've got some Bible study tools that we think are great. Uh, here's a one course. There's eight lessons in it. And it's just a good overview of the Bible. It first explains the Old Testament and then the New Testament. You get those two big pieces of the Bible to understand. Uh, then once you get through that course of eight lessons, there are more detailed courses we've got. Uh, some take you through the life of Jesus. Some take you through the book of Acts. They're just great studies and good ways to understand your Bible better. Uh, we also have online courses that we've added recently. If you want to study on your phone or tablet instead of uh, waiting for paper to come in the mail, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and tell them you want that free online course and we'll get it started for you. So lots of ways to study the Bible. That's the point of this program is all, we all want to know our Bible better. So if you'd like to get to studying on your own in your home, Use the phone number of the website that's on the screen or that one I showed you and uh, get started studying the Bible. All right, we have an explanation question. People want to know meanings to certain scriptures. Please explain Hebrews 3 9, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. All right, well, first we need to understand that Jesus has always existed, there was never a time when he did not exist. Uh, when in Genesis it says, let us make man in our own image, that's God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, always existed. Colossians 1 says Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, uh, so we understand that Jesus uh, in the spiritual form has always existed, but for 33 years, Jesus existed in human form, in the flesh. Uh, the incarnation is what we call that. When Jesus took on his appearance as a man, uh, was born in a natural human way. And as he grew up and became a man, uh, he was certainly in relationship with his father. He lived a perfect life, died a perfect death to atone for our sins. In that time that he was here on earth, as an actual human being, uh, living a perfect life, he was less lower than the angels. 
Uh, let me look at the verse that you referenced. It's actually Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, and it says this, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. And that's key there. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So if we kind of think about this, um, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're supreme in as the Godhead. Below them are spiritual beings, maybe angels. Um, they're, they're higher than human beings, uh, but they're certainly not God. They're created beings, not creators. Um, human beings are lower than that. Uh, we're created beings, but we're not as powerful as angels and spiritual beings. We're, we're fleshly. Okay, so when Jesus, who was superior and before all things and holding all things together, chose to, to step into our world to be in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, was his name, uh, he lowered himself, taking a lower form than even the angels, and that was for the 33 years while he was here. So... Uh, great humility that Jesus took on in, in coming down to this world. Philippians chapter 2, Paul explains this as he's talking about uh, humility. He uses Christ as the ultimate example. Let's look at it. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, you and I can't fully understand what it means to lower yourself to become a human being. Um, the probably most famous example is think of, you know, a human being becoming a worm. That's, a, that's becoming less, if that were possible, to, to lower yourself to that level. Well, it, it, it's an imperfect comparison, but when Jesus, perfect, uh, without beginning, without end, stepped into uh, the physical form as a human being, he lowered himself even below the angels. Uh, it was similar to it, like what it might be for a human being to become a worm. The reason he lowered himself was because of his great love for us. And uh, the good news is, uh, though he died, uh, he was raised, and our hope is in the resurrection. And now he reigns again, and we are promised eternity with him if we're faithful to him. So that's what lowering your, or what Jesus uh, being lower than the angels means. I hope that helps. All right. Viewer wants to know, is there an angel of death? Seems like we're on angel questions today for some <laughs> reason. Um, is there an angel of death? I, I know people talk about that all the time. Uh, I don't think there is an angel of death. I don't think there's one angel that's, that's his assignment is to uh, take people's lives. Uh, there's a couple of stories that make us think maybe so, so let's look at a couple of them. One is in Second Kings uh, chapter 19 and verse uh, 35 it is. Uh, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. Okay, so there's one story where an angel, uh, the angel of the Lord it's called, went out and killed 185,000 Assyrians. Uh, that gives us some idea about the power of one angel. So a legion of angels has a lot of power. But 
there's a story where an angel, he's not named, he's not called the angel of death, uh, nothing like that. He just was assigned to do that and did it. Uh, the story that's most famous that we think about, the angel of death, is the uh, Passover. When the tenth plague came, the death of the firstborn in Egypt, almost always when somebody's telling that story, they talk about the angel of death passed over. The death angel passed over the homes that had the blood on it and all that. If you read that story in Exodus 12, there's no angel mentioned. And I know that surprises some of you because we've always thought that. But if you read it, the Lord says, tonight I will pass through. Tonight I will kill the firstborn. And then when it gets to the part where he did, it says the Lord passed through and took the lives of the firstborn. Doesn't tell how he did it. Doesn't tell if he used angels. Doesn't tell if he used one angel or a whole bunch. Or it just says the Lord did it. So uh, doesn't mention a death angel. So I think from the overall Bible, there's no mention of the angel of death. Now, one interesting thing, I think angels do have a role to play at death. Uh, and the story in Luke chapter 16 uh, about the beggar and the rich man, uh, verse 22 says, When the beggar died, the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. So I do believe that when we die, when a believer dies, that angels escort us to the presence of the Lord. Uh, don't know if there's one or two or a legion or what. Uh, it says angels, so I assume there's more than one, uh, but we're escorted somehow. I don't know how fast that happens. I don't know any of the details. Uh, I just believe from that story that Jesus told that, yes, angels do take us into God's presence. So uh, that's a comforting thought, and it's not really an angel of death, but uh, it's an angel that's active at death. So that's my answer. I don't think there is one angel of death who, that's his, I've read some good poems about that, about God sending the death angel to carry one of his uh, loved ones home and all that. And it's a good thing to think about it, but the Bible just doesn't make it real clear to us that that's the way it works. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We are kept on the air by Churches of Christ and produced by the Church of Christ. And we like to mention a few each week that uh, help us. And today, let me mention a couple in central Kansas, Sylvia and Isabel. Uh, both are small towns, but they have very active congregations of the Church of Christ and good folks that uh, love the Lord and study the Bible a lot like we do. Uh, think about it like we do all know your Bible. And uh, they believe in this program, and we appreciate their support. And if you live in that area or passing through for some reason and need a place to worship, uh, the Sylvia Church of Christ or the Isabel Church of Christ would welcome you warmly. Uh, if you live in one of those towns and know folks that attend the Church of Christ, tell them you watch this program and appreciate them keeping it on the air. And we appreciate their help, too. Uh, whatever market you're watching in, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Uh, drop in, visit them sometime, and tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, tell me what's your question. Got a baby baptism question. If a child is born and is going to die, can anyone baptize the baby? Um, well, there's no need to, in my view of it. Uh, we believe that children, infants, little ones uh, are 
uh, incapable of, of having faith, and uh, we believe that God's going to take care of them, that they're going to be safe. There's no need for baptism, just as there's no need for repentance. Uh, of course, baby couldn't do those things anyway. Terribly tragic situation, and, and so sorry for uh, the loss. Uh, but the good news is that that child will be with the Lord and will be absolutely safe and no need to worry about baptism or any of it. The child's incapable of those things, and God certainly understands those things. We don't get a lot of information from the scriptures about infant baptism, and there's a reason for that, but there is a story in Second Samuel uh, chapter 12. The infant son, the young child, baby of, of David, King David, uh, was going to die. And David prayed and pleaded, um, but the child died. And after they, the servants informed David of this, uh, the scripture says he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped and he went to his own house and they set food before him and he ate. And the servants didn't understand this because previously he had been very sad and mourning and fasting. Uh, and he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now the child has died. Why should I fast? And he, he says this, Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David knew his child was safe with the Lord, and uh, that child was going to be taken care of by God. And in this situation, I would say the same to you. So no need for baptism, no worry for that. Uh, and our prayers, our condolences are with you. All right, a question about uh, death again. Let's see, does your spirit stay in your body for three days after you die? Uh, I have to admit, we've never gotten that question before that I know of, but somebody's heard that uh, idea or rumor and wondered if that's true. Uh, no, it's not true. The spirit does not stay in the body for three days after you die, as far as uh, we know, or as far as the Bible says. Uh, the picture that the Bible gives us is what happens at death is the spirit leaves the body. In fact, that's what death is, is when the body doesn't have the spirit anymore. Let's read a couple of verses here, Second Corinthians chapter 5, I think verse 6 is where we'll start. Um, Paul says this, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Okay, he talks about us as our spirit. So when we're in the body, we're away from the Lord. We, are uh, we live by faith and not by sight. Verse 8, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. So uh, the way Paul talks about death, and in another passage the way he talked about his death, was uh, I want to stay in the body and help you, but I also want to leave the body and go to be with the Lord. So the only explanation of what happens at death that we have in the Bible is our spirit leaving our body. Now the only reason I can think of that... Uh, this person heard this rumor or got this idea was because of Jesus and uh, three days in the tomb. Uh, his spirit was not in the tomb. Uh, his spirit was in paradise. And then the spirit was reunited when his body was resurrected. So, uh, no, our spirits leave our body at death. 
All right, we're out of time, but we want to get our trivia question answered today. Who was Adam's third son? Uh, God blessed Eve with a son named Seth after uh, another one was murdered, Genesis 4.25. Glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.